We are in week number six of a sermon series called The Grave Robber. Today's topic or title is the sixth sign of born blind. Born blind. Last week we talked about the miracle, and just so you know, we've been talking through different miracles of Jesus. We talked about the miracle when he walked on water, and I asked you, I said, what do you do when the will of God sends you into a storm, doesn't take you out of the storm? I said, sometimes Jesus, he, he stops the storm, and sometimes he walks on top of the storm. Uh, and, and the good news is, no matter what storm you're in, Jesus is in control of that storm. And so instead of bailing or running the other way, just keep going. So I wanted to encourage you last week with that. Uh, this week we're going to talk about a man that's been born uh, blind. And I want to focus today on, on pain. I'm not talking about like pain you've caused yourself because that tends to happen in our lives. Uh, just to kind of make it practical, there's pain that, that we've caused and there's pain that we can't explain. There's, there's things you do, like if you hold the nail the wrong way and you hit your thumb with the, with the hammer, that, that's your fault, that's on you. If, you. if you get on a ladder and you go past the, the rung that they tell you to go past, or you decide to make it a two-person ladder, even though it's not a two-person ladder, and the ladder breaks and you fall on your, on your hiney, you're dumb, that's you, right? Like, if you get wet and you put your hand in a socket and you get shocked and your head, like, that's you. There's other pain. Uh, if, you, if you get a report from the doctor that you have a disease that was unexpected, that's, that's unexplained pain. If you, if you have a child and your child gets hit by a car, that's, that's it's not pain that you cause. If... If you, if you lose a job that you shouldn't have lost, if you're looked over for a promotion, there's pain that comes into our lives. If you have a parent that you were born into, the, into this world, but the parent kind of wasn't there. Some of you know this pain. You don't know your dad or your mom, or you don't have a close relationship with them, and you felt unwanted. Maybe you had a dad that was an addict or a mom that was an addict, and they were kind of out, and you've always felt that they've chose their addiction over you, not fully understanding their pain that was passed into, into your life as your pain. Like that type of pain is what I want to talk to you about today because some of us, or I believe all of us, are going to face pain like this. And if you can't explain it to yourself and, and kind of understand what's going on and not maybe explain why it's happening, but maybe have a definition of the reason that maybe it's going on in your life or maybe, maybe hope for why you're experiencing it, then it can be a, can, the, the results can be devastating to you. So we're going to turn to the book of John uh, chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to talk about pain today. Now, this, this passage we're going to read can go many different ways. We've preached through it before. We've preached on it, telling you, here, here's how you kind of explain to your friends about Jesus. You just tell them to come and see. Maybe you don't have all the answers, but you just say, you know, I was blind. We're going to talk about it now. I can see other sermons a couple months ago in the Overwhelm series. I talked about obedience. Obedience is the bridge between, between the promise and God's uh, payoff, like this is how you got to cross it. And so we could talk about obedience, but today I, I wanted to focus on the very first verse in this passage. And this is what the Bible says in John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, As he went along, he saw a man that was blind from birth. Very common in that day and age. If you had a, a family member that was disabled or had a handicap, many times those family members would just hang out on the side of the road. We talked a few weeks ago, Jordan did, about the pool of Bethesda and how their family members would bring this person with a sickness or a handicap and just place them by the pool. And once a day, the pool would stir because the water that was passing back and forth, but they thought it was an angel that was stirring the waters and making them healing. And they would try to rush and jump in. And those that had no one to put them in the water just sat there never to be healed. 
So it was a very common thing. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't rare to walk around and see somebody who was struggling from a, from a pain that maybe they didn't bring upon themselves. And this is what the Bible says that his disciples asked him in verse number 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see the assumption there. We're going to talk about it in a moment. Something must have went wrong for this man to be sitting here blind. You ever do that with somebody? Why are they in pain? Why did this disease happen? Why is their kid struggling? Why didn't they have a good home life? There has to be some form of human explanation for it. You ever have the friend who always tries to explain to you the problems you have in your life, and, and then what happens is you just want to punch them? Like, it never feels, you don't walk away from them going, oh, I feel so much better. You walk away going, God, I hate, I hate them. Like, literally, if you could just make their life rain pain, that would be awesome. Like, this is it. Who, who sinned? Verse 3 says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This whole thing is going on, and you've understood it all wrong. This is happening so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. We're going to talk about that in a minute. If you have your Bible, if you if you still read your Bible, like pages highlighted, if those even exist anymore. But if you have a U version, do something so that you remember this scripture. It's important. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus says, night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and he came home, he came home seeing. I don't want to focus on that part. We're going to get to that in a second. But what I do want to focus on is the, the line in the very beginning of the passage. And here's three things that I think we can take away as maybe we understand this miracle on a different level. You see, the reason I love the gospel is because the gospel is not just a physical meeting of a need. But it's a spiritual thing. Oftentimes, the miracle that Jesus wants to produce in your life has nothing to do with, what you, nothing to do with the physical pain you're going through. It has to do with the, the spiritual issues that you have. You see, if he would have just healed this man, but not done what he was about to do spiritually for him, he would have just been a man that was blind and now he could see with a bunch of questions as to why he was ever blind in the first place. If, if the answer is always just to meet your need, let me make it practical. Oftentimes we'll see the pictures of the, of the little babies and the children all the world that don't have the food that they can eat. And churches can start to embrace that, which they should. We need to feed and, and meet these kids' needs and give them water. But what ends up happening is that gets elevated over the gospel. And the truth is, if you feed and meet their needs, yet you don't tell them about Jesus, and you just have kids that live, live a long life only to end up going to hell. See, the gospel is not only physical, it's it's complete and it's, it's spiritual. And what's about to happen in this, this miracle it is so much greater than this man just getting healed of his blindness. It's so much greater. Here's number one that I think is so important. Is you need to stop looking at your situation with normal eyes. I'm not talking about his his physical eyes. What I'm talking about is his spiritual eyes. Do you see what happens in here? And maybe you've never been guilty of this, but I sure have. What's happening is assumptive 
judgments. In other words, we are assuming things about somebody before we ever even have the answers or have ever even talked to them. You ever done this? You walk by a homeless person. And maybe you won't admit to this, but most of us make an assumed judgment of why they're in that place in the, in the first place, right? Well, you're just there because you're drunk. You're there because you spent all your money on gambling. I'm not giving you any money. You're just going to take it, take it over to the, the mini-mart and get a pack of cigs or, or, or a 40, and you're going to put it in a bag and just drink yourself to oblivion. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go feed myself at McDonald's right now because at least that's right. Gluttony for me is better than drunkenness. For you. Make, make assumed judgments, right? Like, yesterday I was, I was coming back from, from Marshall's in, in Royersford. And Marshall's has giant right there. You, you know, if you live in this area. We're driving back through Royersford. And a lady is walking back towards the direction of giant with a cart and her kid, right? And my assumed judgment, because I'm a judgmental person and I got issues, is look at that lady. She stole the cart from giant. She's using the cart to push back and forth like it's her personal thing. And I'm looking at her. And actually, I'm looking out at, at, at her with her child as she's walking in the cold. And I'm staring at her. And in my head, I'm making these judgments. I'm making them out loud so my wife can hear them. You ever done that around somebody? And the lady looks at me. And I'm kind of just talking to myself. And she just was like, what? Like, I know this is royal for but I'll get gangster on you if you don't stop looking at me, right? Like, stop looking at me, right? Boo. And my wife looked at me and she said, you're wrong. You, you ever been with somebody like that to give you the Jesus juke? You ever been, you're like, you're like, and she says to me, she says, maybe she doesn't have a car as I'm sitting in a car right now. And maybe, just maybe, she just got her groceries from Giant and she walked all the way to her house because she doesn't have a car with the cart. And now she's doing the right thing by bringing the cart back. And then she's going to walk all the way back as you're in the warm car. And I said, maybe but maybe not, Leah. Right? I, w I was making an assumed, the Bible's very clear on not judging people, right? I was making an assumed judgment, so I repented. I was wrong. I've done it with rich people before. You ever been there? You meet somebody who has a lot of money. You make an assumed judgment, they're going to be a jerk. You meet somebody with a little bit of money, a little bit of possessions, and you make an assumed judgment, they're going to be super kind and grateful. And then you meet them, and those, those judgments actually flip-flop, and you're like, no wonder you're poor because you're a jerk to everybody. And no wonder you have money because you're grateful and you're kind to everybody. It's amazing what happens in those circles. Like, you are nice. Maybe you've made a judgment about somebody that you... Didn't think you would be friends with when you first met him. You ever met somebody like that? You're like, you don't look like me, and you're not cool like me, and you don't dress like me. We couldn't go to the mall together because we wouldn't shop at the same stores. And you meet him, and you're like, I really like you. You're everything that I'm not, which is a good thing. And you find somebody you think you're going to like, and you're like, no, I, I, I hate you. You're just like me. You make me feel bad about myself because you talk and act just like me. You're like a reflection in the mirror of all my my faults, like a presumed judgment, an assumption that, that you make. This is what these men did. Disciples are walking, and instead of being like, Jesus, here's another one. Do your magic. Let's heal him. Let's do this. They're like, what did he do wrong? What did he do wrong? Like, what? He sinned. His mom sinned. His dad sinned. His, his grandma sinned. His dog sinned. Somebody sinned. Because, he listen, he's not blind because he ran into something. He came out blind. Like, what was he doing in his mother's womb? Who did he flip off in there? They make an assumed judgment. 
And here's the, here, here's the judgment they were making. Bad stuff equals angry God. Good stuff equals happy God. You ever do that with God? Stuff's going bad. I get a disease. I get something wrong with me. Something breaks, right? Job, I don't get the job. I get passed over. Kids are awful. Literally the worst kids in the world. God, what did I do wrong? Let me figure out what I did wrong. You do that with your parents. My parents don't like me. No one ever talks to me. My family makes me the black sheep. Whatever's going on, they stay away from me. I don't even know my dad. God, I must have done something really wrong. Flip it the other way. How awful is that when you're like this with God? God, man, I must have been doing, you must be impressed, God. I've been coming to church. I've been tithing. I serve. I am so close to getting a parking spot named after me. I'm about to be a leader at the church. They're about to step me up. Everything is going perfect in my life. God, you must be impressed with me. Don't lie because you know you do it. Bad stuff, angry God. Good stuff, happy God. And this man would have experienced this, even in his own life. He would have heard from all his family members, man, you must have did something awful in your mother's womb. He probably prayed over and over and over again. You ever been there? God, take this from me. God, take this blindness from me. God, heal me. God, I want to see. And all the time he wasn't healed and he would have assumed because everybody else was telling him, making these judgments, you have done something awfully wrong. If you could just figure it out, then God would heal, would heal you. You see, when you look at your life like that, I can promise you that you ride a wave of goodness with God. And then as stuff gets rough, which is the typical, the typical way waves go, they break eventually. If you're on a mountain, eventually you're going to get to a valley. Some of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible were written in the valley. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall feel, fear no evil. For you are, you are with me. Like those are the times when you actually know God is in control. Not when you're up, up high. But if you live your life like that, as soon as it gets bad, you're going to assume God is distant from you. And you're going to walk away from God. The only reason you're with God is to get what he can give to you. Instead of understanding that the prize is his presence and his comfort. And knowing he's sovereign. And you see, this man would have dealt not only with physical blindness, but he would have dealt with emotional and spiritual blindness, thinking that God was distant from him because he was, because he was blind. Could you imagine the baggage that comes with that? And some of you can because you deal with it. The family issue, the, the physical issues, the ailments that I have, God must be distant from me or his hand must not be on my life. In Matthew, the book, Matthew 6, Jesus, he, he speaks some powerful words, and this is what he says, and he's not talking about your physical eyes, he's talking about how you, how you view stuff spiritually, and he says, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body's full of light. If I can get you healthy here, everything else will make sense. He keeps going, he says this, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body is it's full of darkness. If you, if you don't see stuff spiritually right, everything else is just pain. But if I can get you to see stuff right spiritually, then you understand that's much more important than the physical miracle you're looking for. See, here's what I know about life. You can't control the experiences that you're, you're facing, but you can control the explanations as to why. In other words, how you define 
what you're going through is really important. You ever done this in your life? Because what is happening is the why that you use actually becomes the truth that kind of drives you. Let me give you an example. When I was 20 years old, I was dating Leah. We were in the first month of our dating relationship, and I had, I had my sights set on marriage, just so you know. And so kind of what happened in, in Bible college is you dated for a couple weeks, you got engaged, uh, you got married, and fourth week, you had a baby, your fifth week, you know. In your sixth week, you were in counseling, right? And that's kind of how it worked. Like, literally, if you were a freshman and you weren't engaged yet, you were, you were weird. If you were a senior, like, you better pray the rapture's coming. Or you're, if you're not married, you're not going to get a job. You have to have a wife uh, to get a job uh, that plays the piano. And so, anyway, uh, we were dating for, for, for about two or three weeks. And I, I was in that infatuation phase with my wife. Like, she was from Oklahoma. I was from Pennsylvania. And I was just in love with her. Her, her accent, and I was in love with the fact that, that she was pretty and just kind and just everything about her. She, she, she was supposed to be my wife. That's what, that's so, so we were dating, and we were kind of spending time going to, going, to, going to a couple dinners. We were sitting in chapel together, and we were, we were going to checking our mail together, and we were walking around the prayer walk together, and we, we had held hands and interlocked hands, and so we were getting official, like the engagement was on the horizon for me. And so anyway, about three weeks into it, uh, chapel happened every day at 11 o'clock, and this is going to surprise some of you, but I never went to chapel. And so uh, what I would do, because you had to go to chapel or you got fined, and so, which maybe we should do at church. And so anyway, you had this little card, and what you would do is this card was basically your identity. And so you would go into chapel, you would walk in the back doors, there would be these little machines, you would scan in, and that was basically your character and your integrity saying, I'm going to go now sit in the seats, and I'm going to sit through an hour of of chapel, otherwise known as hell. And so anyway, uh, I scanned my card, and, and what I would do is instead of walking down and finding a seat, most of the times I would, I would look up. I would act like I had friends sitting in the balcony. I would go up the back stairs. I can't believe I'm telling you how I used to sin in chapel. And I would walk out the back, and, and the chapel lady wasn't in, the, wasn't in peak physical condition. So I would just run, and just I knew she wasn't going to catch me. If I made it more than 50 yards, she wasn't coming. And so anyway... So this day, as I started dating Leah, though, I started going to chapel more frequently because I got to sit by Leah and, 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 and be by her. And we didn't have phones then, and so we would communicate through notes, and I would, I would just dream about Leah and all this stuff. And so we would sit together. One day I came in late, and she was already sitting. That day I came in late, she was already sitting in chapel. So I went up, and as I went up, I was going to walk out, and I was like, you know what? I'm trying to have integrity and character for my future wife, and I don't want her to think I'm a, a heathen and all this stuff. And so I sat in the balcony, and I just watched I watched her as she was worshiping, and I just looked down, and I just daydreamed. And then as chapel was about to be over, she didn't know I was there, but I was about to walk down. And as she was walking out, she was met by this guy named Aaron, who, who is, is the devil. And so she was met by this guy named Aaron. And all, all I can explain to you, Bible college is, is similar to, to a piece of red meat and a, and a pack of rabid wolves, right? Like the red meat being the girl and the rabid wolves being men. Like if you've been boys, like college guys, because, because that's just the way it was. You need to get, you need to get married. So, so this guy comes up. I know him because I play basketball with him, and I know kind of what's going on, and I know he's not as good of a guy as I am, even though I scan and skip and all that stuff. He does other things like curse and stuff like that. So on the spiritual level, I'm much better than him. <laughs> so Leah has a class to him. I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know what was happening, but Leah has a class to him, and he's coming to explain or go over a book. He has a question about a book. Yeah, right. And so she's talking to him, and I just left. And in my head, I was like, it's over. You take one day off from going to chapel, and God is taking my future wife from me, right? 
So I go to my room. I get on the top bunk. I have a room with four people, and luckily no one was there. And I just cried, right? And we had no cell phones, and I just cried. And the why in my head was it's over. It's over because I skipped chapel and all this stuff. And I had already broken up with my future wife in my head. And an hour later, the phone rings, and it was like, where are you at? And I was like, I'm not, no, I'm in class right now. <clears throat> And I thought to myself, how, like, basically, you know it worked out for me because I got married, Aaron didn't, right? So I won, right? But the presumed why, the, the way I explained it was this awful scenario, this awful situation, laying in bed, we do that with our lives. Like, we have these experiences, and we, we explain them to ourselves with the why, and they are completely awful, completely away from what God would say is actually what's going on. So let me give you two things. In the midst of anything you are ever going through, in the midst of what you're going through right now, in the midst of anything that, that you will experience in your life, here's two truths you always need to say to yourself. Number one is this, ready? God is good all the time. All the time God is good. Your, your kid gets cancer. You don't understand what's going on. God is, is good all the time. All the time God is good. You get passed over. At a job, you've been doing all the work, you get passed over, God is, is good all the time, and all the time God is, come on, is good. You're in a marriage situation that just won't break. Like you've been praying, and you've been fasting, and the Bible says what you do in secret, God rewards. And so you've been in your prayer closet, in your walk-in closet, whatever that looks like, and you've been praying for your spouse, and it's just not breaking. In fact, it's getting worse. God is good all the time, and all the time. God's good. I'm not sure what situation you're going to, but the way you explain it to yourself changes everything. You begin to see it in a different light. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Number two, maybe the best promise in Scripture is God uses all things for his good. Listen, if McDonald's can take pink slime and turn it into a replica of a chicken nugget, and you and me both know, no matter what we know about McDonald's, that McDonald's is still good all the time. And all the time, McDonald's is good. Anybody who just got off, you know, snot, McDonald's is gross. You're lying to yourself. McDonald's is always good. All the time. And all the time, McDonald's is good. But if they can take stuff that is not supposed to be eaten and make it to the point where we'll eat it, why do we question God ever? Why, why do we ever say, God, what are you doing? God's taken all things in your life, and he is able to use them for your good, ultimately for his glory. God, why am I blind? God, you're good all the time, and all the time you are good, and you're about to use this for your, my good, ultimately for your, your glory. Can't, can't decide what you experience. Can't decide how you explain it to yourself. Maybe that's the miracle he wants to do inside of you. Instead of explaining to yourself that you're a victim, that, that you face stuff that you shouldn't have faced, that you can't get over, maybe you start to say, God, you're good all the time. You were good all the way back in my childhood. God, you're good all the time. God, you're using all things for your good ultimately, for my good ultimately, for your glory. N number two is this, is, is you need to start seeing that the circumstances that you ask God to change are often the very circumstances that God uses to change you. Look what happens. 
The Bible says that after he said this, we're going to go back to verse 3 in a second, but he says after he said this, after he, he talks about why he's blind and kind of what's going on and changes his spiritual, his spiritual eyes, the Bible says this, that after saying this, he spits on the ground, he makes some mud with saliva and puts it in the man's eyes. Go, he says, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and he came home seeing. If you read that quickly, you're going to miss it. Let's just break it down. This man is, is blind. Not blind like losing eyesight, like still able to make out uh, shapes and faces. He's been blind since birth. I don't know if we can even understand that unless you've been blind your whole life. He, he's never seen anything before. He doesn't know what his mom and dad look like. He doesn't know what rock walls look like. He doesn't know what any. He's never seen the sun. He's never seen the moon. He's never seen stars. He's never seen a doggy or a cat. He's never seen anything. He's blind. Remember I told you before, Jesus is completely unreasonable so, unreasonable, so stop trying to follow him in a reasonable way. This is point or, or example number 1A. The man is blind. Just heal him, Jesus. I get it. He's been born blind, so you can heal him. You're meeting him. Just heal him. Just do your work. And Jesus says, hold on, before I heal you. I don't. If you read it quick, you'll miss it. If you played baseball in this room, you know the first thing you learn in baseball is how to spit. Long before you learn how to hit, long before you learn the rules, rule number one in baseball is spit. If you have a little boy, don't tell him it's disgusting, or a little girl, that's what you do in baseball, in softball, whatever you play, you spit. And so in baseball, I remember I used to sit on the bench, uh, and, and, and as we all were on the bench, before you learn anything else, I would just spit on the ground and try to make mud, and when I realized it takes a lot of spit to make mud. I mean, think about how much spit Jesus just, just did. I mean, he's not like, and they didn't brush their teeth back then. It's Jesus. He's fully human. I mean, this is, I don't know if you have kids, but sometimes when I go in my kid's room at nighttime after one night of sleep, I take Febreze with me, right? It's just, because their breath is so bad. Like, it's Jesus. The blind man is blind, but he can hear. Yeah. Hold, hold up. Hold up. I'm blind. I'm fine with that. Just do the spiritual thing. Jesus. Maybe a couple times. Hey, Peter, I need your spit. Hey, I need some more spit. Just spit. And he gets this, and he makes, you know what you did? The second thing you did in baseball is you made, you made, you made mud pies, right? And so you make the mud pies out of your spit, and you do it. And then he takes it. And just a disgusting match. Just, that's the sign when you make the spitty mud. And you just put it on. And then he tells him to go. And, and, and I, I never really, I mean, we talked about it before, but Mark Batterson, the writer of this book, he said he went to Jerusalem where this would have happened, and, and, and it's during the Feast of Tabernacles, which means there would have been extra thousands of people in this city, so it would have been a crowded environment, and so not only is he blind and walking through people, but then he says, I also walked this path, we're not sure how long it was, but they've estimated kind of where it was and where, where he walked from, but he said the one thing we know is he walked downstairs, it, it was downstairs to the pool. He sent a blind man with, with mud in his eyes downstairs to get healed. Completely unreasonable. And here's the point that Mark Batterson makes that I thought was so neat. He said, he said not only was, was he physically disabled, but he was also spiritually and emotionally disabled because here's what he would have been taught his whole life. You're good for nothing. You can't do anything. 
Not only are you blind physically, but listen, the words that he would have heard always was, you need everybody that, that you know to do things for you so that you can come through. Like, you need to be led to food, you need to be led to water, you need to be led to the bathroom, you need to be led everywhere. And Jesus says, start walking by yourself. I'm not sure who was there with him, if anybody was there with him, but I'm, I'm thinking that he's saying to himself, I need my helper. And Jesus says, I'm your helper. I'm your helper. And I think he walks blindly down these steps to the pool and he gets healed. And I think not only does he get healed spiritually, but all of a sudden, all that was taken from him emotionally begins to get restored by Jesus. He begins to understand, I can do all things through Christ who, who gives me strength. That I'm not a victim of my past, but I'm more than a conqueror. You see what happens? He starts to see his past not as his problem, but he starts to see his past with purpose and he starts to understand that with God all things are possible no matter what I face in the future I know what I face in the past and I see what my God can do with it I got nothing to be afraid of you see maybe the very thing you're asking God to take from you is the thing that he's using to work through you Maybe it's the thing he's using to, to change you. I can tell you from experience that in 2005 when we started this church, I prayed like crazy for three years for God to either rescue me or for God to kill me or for God to do something in this church because it was so hard. And I look back now and I realize that the very thing I was asking God to take me away from was the thing that God needed to put me into so that I would change and understand that you're not a big deal. And I'm going to show you because you're going to be a big failure we don't need you you get to be a part of this and if he would have allowed me to be a part of what I'm a part of now at the age of 25 I would have ruined it see maybe the thing he's he's allowed you to be in is the thing that he wants to do something significant in right now and, and, and number three we're going to skip back to verse number three I know I know I jump but here, here's the truth the most important thing for you to see today, the ultimate goal for your life is God's glory through your life. It's not a miracle. It's not. The ultimate goal of your life is not a miracle. The ultimate goal of this man's life was, was not, not so that he could see. The ultimate goal of, of your prayers is not so that you cannot not be sick or you can... Have an easier life. God's will is dangerous, just so you know. The ultimate, the ultimate thing, the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of praying for a miracle ultimately is so that God will get the glory through your life. Like that's what this scripture says. It says, neither this man nor his parents, watch this, but this happened so that the works of God could be displayed in him. In other words, everywhere he went, people said this to him. And if you keep reading the story, they said stuff like this. This can't be that man. We've seen him blind since birth. He looks like him, but now he sees. He couldn't see before. And all the blind man kept saying is, Jesus did it. What do you know about Jesus? I don't know anything about Jesus except he spit in my eyes and told me to go wash, and I came home seeing. Well, tell us what this about. I don't know anything else about him. I was blind, and now I see. You want to go ask, go ahead, you go ask him a question. I don't know what happened. I just know Jesus is good. And you see what happened. It, it, it's not even about the miracle. It's about Jesus getting the glory in his life. You see, you can get your miracle, but if Jesus doesn't get the glory, you ultimately get nothing. See, I want my life. 
I want the purpose of my life. I want the, the passion of my life. I want it to be about Jesus. And so when people look at my life, there is no way that they can't come away going, God had to do something. Like o- only God. Don't you want that miracle or that testimony? Only God. Like only God could have gotten that person there. Only God could have kept those two people together. Only God could have brought that, that, that blessing and that, that miracle into your life. Sometimes you pray, what's the will of God? God, I don't know the will of God. Here, let me tell you. The will of God is the glory of God. The will of God for your life is the glory of God. Sometimes I pray over my kids. And what what do we typically pray over our kids? God, protect them. God, watch over them. God, make their life easy. God, make, make them smarter. Make them less rebellious. God, just protect them. It's a good prayer, but it's a fragile request. Instead, you should pray, God, God, I want the glory of God to to shine through their life. God, I know the will of God is is not easy, and it's certainly dangerous. We know that from God's word. One of my favorite passages is Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about all these great men and women of our faith. It talks about how when you get down, to stop and picture them because they're cheering you on, that they've just passed, that this is not a sprint. And it's not a marathon because a marathon ends, that it's a relay. And they have passed on the baton through the generations. And all we're doing is grabbing that that baton and, and passing it to the next person. And this relay just keeps going until Jesus comes back. And the book of Hebrews, it just talks about all these, these great men and women of, of the faith that weren't good because of themselves, but they were good because God got the glory through their life. Sometimes you, I think we read the Bible and we don't really place ourselves on these people's level uh, because of how presumed uh, good that they were. But just so you know, in the faith, Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11, there's a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. She was all jacked up, but she was the only one that, that was in uh, Jericho before the, the Israelites screamed and the walls came down that protected the Israelite spies. And so she gets into the, the faith Hall of Fame as a, as a prostitute. David, he's an adulterer. Solomon, he was the smartest person in the world. He was so smart, he married thousands of people. I would call that dumb. The message is, is even the smartest person in the world needs the wisdom of God. And this is what the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11 says. It starts with, with all this good stuff. It says, what more shall I say in verse 32 after talking about people? I don't have time to tell to you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdom and administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And then it says this, though, watch this, God's will. God's will is God's glory. Sometimes it goes really good. Sometimes there's no paint. Sometimes we're riding on top of a, of a wave, hanging ten. Sometimes we're on top of a mountain. Other times we're in the valley. And God still gets the glory. His will is the glory. And it says this as it continues. Some, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There were some that were put to death by stoning. They were sawed into two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, though, yet none of them received what had been promised. In other words, sometimes 
Sometimes God gives us what we're promised here, and sometimes the promise is in eternity. It's all still for the, the glory of God. God can heal you, but if he doesn't get the glory, then it's pointless. His healing is not just physical. His healing is emotional, which guess what I think is, is much more important because that's where anxiety and fear and doubt and our pain they come from when we define stuff with the wrong set of eyes. My prayer is that God would heal your, your, your insides today, that you would begin to define your past as this. God is good all the time, all the time. My God is good. God is good all the time. If you remember one thing from this sermon, because you probably will only remember one thing from this sermon. God is good all the time and all the time. My God is good. Would you stand with me all over our houses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Would you just begin to pray that over yourself? Maybe the simplest prayer. Maybe it's something you go home and write down somewhere. God is good all the time. I know what my past is. I know what I've went through. But God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Maybe you got a bad report from the doctors. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God's using all things for my good, ultimately for his glory. Would you, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, would you just begin to pray that over yourselves? Pray the truth of Scripture over yourself. Sometimes you are on top of the mountain, and sometimes you're in the valley. Maybe the thing you've been asking God to take away from you is the thing that he wants to do something through you in the midst of this, whatever you're going through right now. Maybe it's just simply you getting a new set of eyes. For some of you in this place, the new set of eyes starts with a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Just quite frankly, there's people in this place that you would admit, I don't have a relationship with, with God. Maybe you thought to yourself, man, there's a God, I guess. I don't think I'm here by accident. I don't think I evolved from, from a monkey or some of the form like that. Like, I've never really bought into that. Like, I've always kind of assumed there was a God. But I've been confused by who he was. Like, I've been confused by what he thought of me. And maybe you've thought to yourself, good things equal happy God, and bad things equal angry God. And honestly, I felt like my life has been full of bad. It's been full of pain. And I've assumed that God is angry with me. But as you've been talking and explaining the story of the blind man, I begin to understand that maybe all the bad that's happened in my life up to this point that I've been using for bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, and I've been, I've been a victim, that I no longer want to be that, that I can't give you a reason of why you went through things, but I can give you the truth that when you're called by God through his son Jesus, that he will use all things for your good, that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And for those of us that know God, we don't know him because of all of the, the happiness that we've experienced in life and all of the joy that we've experienced in life. And, and we've never faced sorrow and pain and we've never had somebody abandon us. But we found out at a certain time in our lives that we can either be defined by all the bad that's been done to us and we can be defined by all the mistakes that we've made or we can be defined by Jesus. See, the truth is that God that I'm talking to you about, he's not far from you. That he could have been. The Bible says the wages of sin. And you know you're full of sin and I know I'm full of sin. When the wages of my sin is death, the Bible says, it's hell. 
when your heart stops beating, the Bible was clear that your creator will judge you. You'll be judged for every mistake that you've ever made, and the wages of that sin is, is death. And you can try to do enough good, but you know, just like God, that you can never repay all of the bad and the wrong, all of the bitterness that you have. There's a second part of that story. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And then it puts this, the word but in there, but the gift of God. See, you think God is far from you, but the truth is God is right here. That he could have stayed away and he could have abandoned you. He could have turned away from you every time you told him that you hated him or you didn't want him near you. He could have ran. But the Bible says that God's love is not dependent on you. That he doesn't love you because you love him. That while you're still a sinner, that his son died for you in your place. And he loves you desperately right now. And he wants nothing more than for you to experience new life, freedom, hope and forgiveness only found through his son Jesus, that Jesus would step out of eternity 2,000 years ago, and he would come, and he would die for our sins in our place. He'd be put in a tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead, the Bible says, and he defeated sin, and he defeated hell. He died for your sins, past, present, and future, and you no longer have to walk the life that you're walking. God is much closer than you think. You've tried to run from him, and guess what? He's run even harder. And he got you to this moment. And the Bible says he's knocking at your heart. You can feel him. I remember when I was 18 years old, that knock was, was strong on the steps of the Hershey. God, I give my life to you. I can feel him knocking at the doors of my heart. And he has changed me. I don't know where I would be without him. And that's the only reason I stand up here today. I believe Jesus changes people. I believe in God's love. The Bible says that God is love. If you're confused by who God is, if you've been, been told or if you've reasoned, God, he's love. Not a love where, where you do things to get to him, but a love that did everything to get to you. And the Bible says the way you experience his love is you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And you'll be saved. Your life will be changed. He'll do more in one moment than all of the moments that have been combined. All of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the bitterness. If you're tired and you're weary and you're heavy laden, the Bible says today, come to him and he'll give you rest. So with nobody looking around in this moment, maybe you've been in church your whole life and you've heard this story, but for the very first time, it just became real to you today. Or maybe you've never been in church, but you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with God. I've never asked Jesus to be my, my Lord and my Savior. I've never confessed and believed. I've never done what you said that I need to do. I don't remember the day. I can't recall when it was. Today is going to be my day. March 22nd, 2015, I can feel, I can feel the voice of the Lord, and he's calling me, and today I want to respond. If that's you in this place, and you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not going to walk out of this place and wonder one more day, I'm bringing everything to him, with nobody looking around at all three of our campuses, but you just shoot your hand up in the air and say, you know what, today's going to be my day, it's going to be the day that I receive Jesus as my, my Lord and my, my Savior, I'm going to give you a couple seconds in this room with me, would you just keep your hand up high? at our other campuses and say, you know what, today's going to be my day. I see a hand all the way over here on my, on my left. Is there anybody else? Just keep your hand up high just for a second so that I can see you. You know what, today's going to be my day. I see a hand way in the back. Come on, the Lord's working. So many times I think we, we're nervous. We're going to see another hand right here. The Bible says there is no condemnation. You're condemned already, but in God's presence there is no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That this is the place of hope. That this is your home. This is where you're supposed to be. Is there anybody else to say, Pastor, that's me. God's working. He's calling. I can feel him knocking. I'm just responding right now, unashamedly, 
I'm not worried about what anybody else is thinking. I'm going to make this. This is the best decision you're ever going to make. I know it's going to change my life forever. Is there anybody else physically here with me right now? You say, you know what? This is my moment. This is my moment, Pastor. Would you pray with me, church? Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for all those that are represented right here uh, in this room, Lord. We thank you for the promise in Hebrews 11 that we're, that we're being cheered on by a great cloud of witnesses, by those who have gone before us. And each one in the Bible has had this same moment in their lives. The Bible is not a story about great people. The Bible is a story about a great God. Lord, you get all the glory in this place, Lord. You get the glory when people come to you. You get the glory when miracles happen. You get the glory, God. The Bible is about your glory. And so I thank you right now that you have drawn men and women to yourself, that you have done this week in and week out, that all we do is we lift up the voice of Jesus and you do the rest, Lord. And we know that more good can happen in a moment in your house, Lord, in your presence than all the other moments, Lord combined in our life. All the shame, all the baggage, all the pain, all the rejection, all the anxiety and the fear, it is all fading. Perfect love, it casts out fear. This isn't a love that we've earned. This is a love that's come after us, Lord. Jesus, you died on a cross 2,000 years ago for our sins. The way your life ended should have been the way our life ended with shame. We should have been as a result of what we have done. We should have paid the price, but you paid it for us. You were taken down off that cross and placed in a tomb. And on the third day, they came to find you. They came to anoint your body. And all that was left was the grave cloth, Lord. You had defeated sin. You had defeated death. And you had defeated hell. And Jesus, you walked the earth and you showed us the scars. Here's the nail marks. And here's the marks on my side of, of the death I died for you in your place. You died the death that we should have died. And now we live the life we could have never lived. We never deserved, Jesus. I thank you for changing our, our hearts, for changing our minds, for changing our eternity. I thank you that your miracle is not just physical, Lord, but it's, it's spiritual, Lord. It's emotional, Lord. You're changing the way we view life. God, you're good all the time. All the time, you're good. You're so good to us over every situation. You are sovereign and you are in control. And when we can't even see or understand what's going on, you're working on our behalf ultimately for your glory, Jesus. So Lord, we leave this place encouraged. We leave this place with, with, with boldness as we walk into the situation. Maybe that we've asked you to take us from, but Lord, we're walking right back into it. No longer maybe do we ask you to take it from us, Lord, but we ask you to do something through it. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for being here with us at all three of our campuses. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you clap with me?